are going to be in Matthew 1. I guess you know that by now. Matthew 1, the genealogy of Jesus. This is one of those where you uh, probably don't look forward to your preacher saying, yeah, we're going to preach a sermon on the genealogy, right? You guys probably weren't thinking this last week, man. I hope Chuck preaches on one of these genealogies. I know that will be an exciting sermon, right? Matthew 1, 1 through 17, a bunch of names. What in the world? We're going to, I hope, we're going to study this in a way that will help you see why it's there. And I'm looking forward to it uh, this morning. I'm glad you're here. It's good to see everybody, a good crowd today. We welcome you to Hoover. Uh, I want to put a plug in, a shameless plug for you to come back at 5 o'clock tonight. You ever wondered, don't answer this out loud, because I'm, I'm afraid of some of the answers I might get. Have you ever wondered what happens between Malachi and Matthew? No? I hope some of you have. I hope some of you have wondered about, like that, we call it the intertestamental period, you know, from Malachi to Matthew, about 400 years or so. And uh, it's really confusing to, to us sometimes when we read the Old Testament and then we read the New Testament. We don't realize there's a big gap. And you read about a lot of stuff in the New Testament that maybe you don't know about, like Pharisees, for example. Where in the world did Pharisees come from? You know, they came from between Malachi and Matthew. Between you turn that page and finish the Old Testament, turn the next page and read the New Testament. During that 400 years, lots of stuff happened. And it's hard to read the New Testament in a way that's healthy if we don't understand some of the stuff that happened in that time frame, like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and some of this, some of this stuff going on. So if you come back at 5 o'clock, we're going to have a class. And that's one of the things we're going to talk about, is just uh, talking about some of that stuff we don't talk about a whole lot, honestly, and think about what happened during that time that helps us to read the New Testament in a better way. So um, I do hope you will come back at 5 o'clock tonight to be a part of that class. I'm not going to have a PowerPoint today, so you I hope you'll be okay. I hope we'll be okay as a church. We're going old school today. No PowerPoint. And so um, I'm following follow along in the back of the bulletin, and I'm going to be, uh, I'll, I'll be following the progression that's there. This is an interesting, I, honestly, I love this chapter. I love this story here in Matthew 1. I appreciate the guys who preceded me on stage here and talking about this, incorporating this into the different parts of worship. And the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You see, there's this interesting thing in, in, in the scriptures where what you've got is, as we talked about a lot this year, you've got this one cohesive narrative, this, this unfolding story, this beautiful thing about what God is doing. And it starts with creation that's good in Genesis 1 and 2. It, it follows, it's followed quickly by this, this undoing of that good creation by us in Genesis 3. And then the rest of the biblical story is about what God is doing to undo what we've done, to to recreate, to, to renew and redeem everything that we've messed up. And he redeems us, and he redeems the world. And it's a beautiful story that finds its culmination in Revelation 21 and 22, near the end, you know, at the end of the Bible. And here in Matthew 1, what we've got is Matthew helping you and me to recognize that God is moving in human history to bring about the one He's been talking about for so long. You know, in the New Testament times, it's like, it's like any time, I guess, but maybe so, more so in New Testament, there was this kind of feeling that if something wasn't old, it wasn't true. So if he had some sort of new religion, it, it probably wasn't true because everything that's, everything that's true is, is old. And I think that's part of the reason why Matthew wants to make it very clear in this genealogy in Matthew 1 
that Christianity, you know, the coming of Jesus, it's not some new religion. Christianity wasn't a new religion. It wasn't a new thing in the sense that it, it didn't have anything coming before it. But what Matthew wants, wants to do here in this genealogy is he wants to show that this is the continuation. This is God's story that is, is, is being show, shown and being fulfilled and it's, it's being declared to the world in the person of Jesus Christ. And as Donnie said in his thoughts prior to communion, he connects it at the very first part with two Old Testament guys. Look at, your, uh, look at your Bible with me, if you would. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, or the son of David, the son of Abraham. I want to talk about the first of those, uh, the second of those first. I'll talk about Abraham, then we'll go back and talk about David a little bit. You know, I, we've, as a church we've been reading, but not everybody's been reading this. You know, some of this may be pretty new to you, and that's fine, that's fine. I wanna, what I want to show you is why Matthew does this. And what he does in the very first verse is he shows that Jesus is connected to these two very important Old Testament characters. Now, so he talks about Abraham. He says Jesus Christ is the son of Abraham. If you were to go back to Genesis 12, this is a text we studied a while back, months ago. And uh, it's very important. In fact, it's, uh, it's probably the most important verse passage in the Old Testament in the sense that it helps us to see what God is doing. Way back, just to refresh your memory, Genesis 12, God says to Abraham, he says this, verse 1, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. This is an important, very important part of it. End of verse 3, he says, And you, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And you remember back, Genesis 1 and 2, God created a perfect world. Genesis 3, Adam and Eve came along and messed it up. You know, they did what God told them not to do. And as a result of that sin in Genesis 3, the fall, as a result of that, there are lots of things happened. The earth itself ceased to function as it once had. The relationships between people, between men and women, between people in general, was, it was messed. These relationships were messed up. But most importantly, perhaps, our relationship with God got messed up. We are apart from God. We are separated from Him. We're not reconciled to Him. We're apart from Him. So when God comes on the scene right after that, He says to the serpent, who is part of this temptation, you know, He says to the serpent, a descendant of this woman, the seed of Eve, this is Genesis 3.15, He says, a descendant of this woman is going to undo what you've done. He's going to come along and He's going to fix what you've broken. He's going to heal what has become sick. He's going to reconcile what has become separate. And so, in a, in a very real sense, what the Bible is, it is a genealogy of getting from Eve to the one who's going to fix it all. That's why, if you read the Old Testament, you remember in Genesis 5, it starts giving us genealogies. In Genesis 10, it gives us another genealogy peppered throughout the Old Testament are all these genealogies. And what they're doing is they show that from Eve, you go from Eve to Seth. You follow that genealogy on down, and Seth is the great, 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 whole bunch of greats, grandfather of Terah, who was the father of Abraham. And then and the Old Testament gives these genealogies. Matthew does it for us a little bit in Matthew 1. Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Judah and on. But it all goes back 
to what God said to the serpent. The seed of this woman, the descendant of this woman, is going to fix what you have broken. And so in the Old Testament, in a very real way, what it's doing is it's helping us see how God is working through these people in order to bring about some sort of person, some sort of descendant. He's going to fix all this. So in Genesis 12, God, God gets pretty specific with Abraham, and he says, you're going to bless the whole world, but not you. It's going to be this family that I'm going to create through you. So in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And so when Matthew says this, in Matthew 1, he says, he is the son of Abraham. What he's showing us is that that genealogy, all right, from Abraham, Isaac, Judah, all the way down to David and all the way down to Jesus, that Jesus comes from Abraham. And so he's qualified to be the one about whom God said to the serpent, he's going to fix what you broke. He's going to fix what you met. You're not going to win this. You're not going to win this. You may, it may seem as if you, um, you're winning now, but you're not going to win ultimately because I'm going to bring someone into the world. Through the very woman whom you tempted, I'm going to bring someone into the world who's going to fix it. So he's the son of Abraham. Then he says, he's the son of David. Now, there's another text. There's one in 2 Samuel 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now, again, you're just looking at this genealogically speaking, from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Judah. And then you go on, you go on skip quite a few generations. You get to David. You get to David. David is the king. And in 2 Samuel 7, God said some things to, to David. And he said, I am going to establish a house. Listen to this, 2 Samuel 7, 12. When your days, this is God speaking, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And there's this, this text in 2 Samuel 7 and other places in the Old Testament where God is saying that through David, I am going to bring that one into the world. See what, see what he's doing? To Eve, in that Genesis 3, he said to the serpent, what's this descendant of Eve? To Abraham, God says, it's going to be from your lineage. To David, he says, I'm going to bring one into the world, and he's going to be the king. And so what Matthew's doing in Matthew 1 is, he's helping us to see that the story continues. In fact... The story is coming to this climactic moment when the one about whom God has been speaking for thousands of years has come. The genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, I mentioned at the beginning that um, folks in the New Testament world didn't like new things, especially when it came to religious things. So here in Matthew 1, what Matthew helps us to see is that this is not a new thing. This is God still continuing to work, and he's, he's narrowing his focus now to this one called Jesus Christ. So he's the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. So he's the descendant. He's going to bless the world. He's going to be the descendant of David. He is the descendant of David. He's going to be the king of the world. But, but I want you to notice something else. I mean, that's the, that's the big overarching story that Matthew's telling. But there are some subtexts here that I think are pretty important as well. Notice also that when he doesn't just go from Abraham and David all the way to Joseph and Mary, 
But there are a whole lot of names in between, and we skipped over them in our reading this morning. And I want to, I want to read some of this. In fact, I think, let's just go ahead and read this. Let's follow along. I want to read this genealogy, and then I'm going to go back and maybe point out a couple of them for us today. Let's start reading in verse 2. Notice what Matthew does. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amenadab, and Amenadab the father of Nation, and Nation the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. From Abraham to David. See that? That connection, all right? Then he continues. David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. These are kings we're talking about here now. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asaph. And Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. And Joram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. And Jotham, the father of Ahaz. And Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. And Manasseh, the father of Amos. And Amos, the father of Josiah. Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. That's the next segment. So we go from Abraham to David. David's king. All of those names in that paragraph are all kings. Pretty important, right? From David to Solomon to Rehoboam and so on. Those are all kings. Okay, verse 12. Changes a little bit here. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel, the father of Abiad. And Abiah the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of, of Eliud, Eliud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Mathan, Mathan the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. All the generations from Abraham to David, 14, from David to Babylon, 14, from Babylon to Christ, 14. And then Matthew goes into the birth narrative of Jesus. Now, here's what I wanted you to notice. If you're following along with me on the back of the bulletin, you'll notice I, I left a space there. So he's the son of Abraham. He's the son of David. But he's the son of a whole lot of other people, too. And I want to point out a couple of those. There's one thing that's, well, a couple of things that are interesting here. One of, one of them is this. Did you notice that there are five women mentioned in the genealogy? Five women are mentioned, which is a little bit different from the course that he's following and the course of most genealogies of that time. And so it's interesting, makes me want to ask the question, I wonder why, number one, why does he include the women in the genealogy here, which was an anomaly for how genealogies were typically recorded? And number two, if he only includes some of the women, why does he choose the women, the specific women that he does include? All right, go back, go back with me and look at this for a second. Notice the women who are mentioned here. In verse 3, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. So you got, you got Tamar mentioned there. I'll come back to that in a second. Verse 5, the father of Boaz by Rahab. That's number 2. Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. That's number 3. End of verse 6, David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. That's number 4. And then Mary is mentioned in verse 16. Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. I don't know if you've thought about this before, but Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary. 
Think about them with me for a minute. Now, I'm not going to go back and talk about these stories in great detail, but I do want to point out a couple of things. It's pretty interesting. Tamar, interesting story in Tamar. This is part of the Old Testament that you skip over in your devotional time when you're reading with your kids. Okay? Story Tamar. Not going to say a whole lot about it. Genesis 38. Read it sometime. Uh, I'm going to summarize it a little bit using some euphemisms, okay? The story of Tamar is a situation where Tamar is mistreated pretty, pretty badly by Judah. Now, Judah's a pretty important Old Testament guy. He's the son of Jacob, through whom David's going to come into the world, through whom Jesus is going to come into the world. The Jews were called Jews because they descended from Judah. That's how they got the name. So Judah's a pretty important person. But Judah's messed up. He's messed up pretty badly. And he does some things with reference to Tamar that are ugly, that are bad. Long story short of it is, Tamar marries Judah's son, but that son dies. And so Judah gives his other son to Tamar. Stuff happens. Genesis 38, you need to read that. Stuff happens. That son dies. So then Judah decides it was customary, it was expected for him to give a third son to Tamar. But Judah... He's lost a couple of sons by now, and I guess he doesn't really want to lose son number three, and so he doesn't do it. Long story short of it, I said that already. But what happens is Tamar dresses up like a prostitute in order to seduce her father-in-law, and it is that union through whom these people are born. So when it says Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, these people knew their Old Testament pretty well. They knew that chapter pretty well, and they knew how that whole thing came about. Now, I'm going to make a point here in a minute, but I want to stay with me for a second, because this whole thing about Tamar and uh, being a, dressing up like a prostitute to seduce her father-in-law who didn't know who she was, and then she, was, she became pregnant with twins, and those twins are these guys mentioning the genealogy of Jesus and that whole thing, that whole ugly soap opera kind of story of Genesis 38 is ugly. And yet Matthew says, that's where Jesus came from. He doesn't sanitize it. He doesn't skip over it. He doesn't like act like that didn't happen. He tells the story. And the story is a genealogy that is filled with messed up, ugly situations where, where women like Tamar put in impossible situations who were abused by their patriarchal society, and yet God worked through all of that mess and all that ugliness to bring about, to continue on, this genealogy that's going to do something pretty cool. Now, that's the story of Tamar. You remember who Rahab was? Verse 5, Rahab, she's the second woman mentioned. Rahab is the, is the woman who was an innkeeper, probably euphemistically referring to a prostitute, a harlot there in Jericho when, when God's people came to Jericho and sent the spies in. They took up residence there at Rahab's house. She hid them. She lied about them. She saved them. Through that whole thing, Rahab was then married into this nation, and that union produced 
the offspring, Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. So Rahab and Salmon came together. Boaz, Rahab was the prostitute. Tamar dressed up like a prostitute. Rahab was a prostitute. You got this union that came about, and the son was born into that. Boaz then became the father of Obed by, as far as the genealogy is concerned, woman number three. Her name was Ruth. You remember who Ruth was? Got a whole book dedicated to Ruth in the Old Testament. Beautiful story of Ruth, who wasn't a Jew. She wasn't part of this nation. She was a Moabite. Lots of stuff happens in the book of Ruth. But through all of that, she lost her husband. Stuff happens. And Ruth becomes a part of the family. She's the father. Uh, she is the mother through this union. She's the mother, the great-grandmother of David. You know, just got this, these things happening. So you got... You got Tamar, you got Rahab, you got Ruth, you got Bathsheba. Does anybody remember a story about Bathsheba in the Old Testament? Remember that whole thing with David and Bathsheba and David doing what he shouldn't have done and Bathsheba's married to somebody else and David steals her, murders her, murders her husband. She becomes David's wife. As a result of that union, Solomon is born into the world, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah and so on. Woman number five is Mary. Now, me, I want to speak respectfully of Mary because the Bible is very respectful of Mary. But there's also a subtext here that people who didn't believe in Christ would certainly have believed here. So what you've got in the story and in, in the narrative that follows about Mary is an interesting one. Can you imagine? Let's just, let's just put ourselves in a very conservative Jewish community in a small village in the world that we read about in the New Testament, that had strict morals. And Mary, probably pretty young, one day everybody discovered that Mary, before she's married, is expecting a child. Listen to this now. And Mary says, it's the Holy Spirit's. How do you think that story would have played in her little village? What, what do you think people thought about Mary's story in Matthew 1? I think we all know what they thought about her story. Mary, <laughs> we've heard some doozies. We've heard some good stories about this happen, but that probably takes the cake right there. To blame it on the Holy Spirit for real? Now, I mentioned this. Again, I'm speaking respectfully of Mary because I believe wholeheartedly the story that we read in Matthew 1 and that her story was true, right? I believe that. You, I believe probably everybody in this room believes that her story was true, that this is how it happened. But what I want you to hear for just a second is how that story would have been heard by her community at the moment it was told. Nobody would have believed the story. And most folks didn't believe it in Matthew's day, which would have been written, you know, 30 years later or so. Actually, longer than many, 60 years after Jesus was born. So here's the, here's the thread I'm wanting to connect here from, from Tamar to Rahab to Ruth to Bathsheba to Mary. With every one of their stories, there's this subtext of immorality or suspicion or some sort of question. This is not in any, in any way meant by Matthew, certainly, to cast aspersion on women, but rather to honor Jesus Christ as one who comes from 
people who've made a lot of mistakes and people who had been marginalized by their communities because of things they had done or things that people thought they had done. He was the descendant of Abraham and David, but he was also the descendant of Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba and Mary, whose stories, in a lot of ways, didn't line up with what culture expected. Let me come to us now, and I'll close with this. We learn a lot of pretty neat things. I'm, I'm talking like big theological things. Abraham, David, he's the descendant. He's going to be the king. He is the one who's going to fulfill all those promises. And so we, lo- we learn those things, but we learn some other things too that are also pretty neat. And they have to do with everybody in this room. Jesus descended from people. He descended from messed up people. He descended from people who had made a mess of their lives. He came from people who had been marginalized, who were looked down on by much of the world. He came from that sort of people so that he could save that sort of people. He came, he came from that sort of people. He's the son of them so we might be the son and daughter of the king. You see this? He's the son of Rahab so that you and I, with all of our mistakes, he's the son of Tamar so that her story might in some way reflect the story of people who are like us, people who've made a mess of things. And I know in every assembly, you got folks who come, and we might, we, we've got folks here today because we got people here today. We got people who've made a mess of our lives and we've done things that we're not proud of, we're ashamed, and maybe we feel dirty and we feel like, you know what, God doesn't have a place for me. I think the New Testament starts off and it tells a genealogy in a certain way, inviting these stories in so that God may help us to see. That's his family. That's his family. So that we could be his family. I think that's pretty neat. And, and so... This, this story is told, yes, yeah, so, so we can show the continuity with the old, but also so that those of us may see a thread here that goes not only through the genealogy, but through the life of Jesus, where he spent his time, the kind of person around whom he spent his time. And you know what? The thing is pretty neat about it is not only did Jesus descend from these people, but these are the people that he hung around with. So he spent time. We talked about this a little bit last week. He spent time around people like Rahab, like Tamar. He spent time around the poor folks. He spent time around the people who had, had become drunks. He, he spent time around the people who had a reputation for being dishonest. That's where Jesus spent his time. But it's, it's no surprise, is it? That's the kind of people he came from. These were his people. And so he spent time with those people. So that you and I could read this. And we could see an invitation from him to us that no matter if we're poor or not, if we've made a mess of our lives in some sort of public way, if we've done things that nobody else knows about, that we would be able to find ourselves in the genealogy of Jesus. He didn't descend from us, but rather he invites us to be his own descendant, to be the son or daughter as Mark prayed this morning, the very biblical way, we are invited into the family of Jesus so that we might be his siblings, we might be his brothers, we might be his sisters. The genealogy invites us in to the family of God, no matter what we've done.
That's the story of the gospel. If you're not a Christian this morning, I hope you see yourself in the genealogy. A lot of those names we don't know, but your name's in there. My name's in there. Because God invites us to be there. He invites us into the family of God. Later on, you know, uh, they had come to Jesus and say, your, your mom and your brothers are outside, they want to talk to you. And Jesus said, who's my mom and who are my brothers? But those who do the will of my Father, right? And so you're invited to be obedient to the will of God this morning, to accept by the free gift of God's grace, salvation that's, that's found in Jesus. What he does is he takes your story and he, clean, he cleans it. He wipes out all the ugly forgives all the, all the bad stuff, forgives it all. When you come into the family of God, your story merges into his, and it's a beautiful thing this morning. If you're ready to become a Christian, we'll baptize you into him for the forgiveness of all of your sins. You'll receive the gift of God's spirit, invited into the family of God. Beautiful, beautiful thing that Matthew's helping us to see here in Matthew 1. If you need to ask for the prayers of the church, you're a child of God, but you haven't lived as a child of God ought to live, and you want to come back to him today. We'll pray for you as well today. The genealogy teaches us that God's story can become ours. Let's stand and sing. If you need to respond, I hope you'll come now.